build the wall or not build the wall. That's the subject of tonight's point of view. Just before we came on the air, CNN gave out an exclusive report that said President Trump is now putting the finishing touches on a national, can we bring this up please, national emergency to build the wall. He's identified $7 billion to build this wall from different pockets of money that are available to him via the DOD, other departments, things like that. Part of the draft reads as follows. The massive amount of aliens who unlawfully enter the United States each day is a direct threat to the safety and security of our nation and constitutes a national emergency that may be in the eye of the beholder for some of you. The question is, should President Trump drop this national emergency or not? Remember, just to keep in mind here, I know it sounds great. Hey, let's build this wall. Let's get it done. But there's also the possibility this could set a very bad precedent. Let me give you an example. Let's say that a Democrat becomes president at some point in time in the future. And that president says, hey, I think global warming. Remember, Bernie Sanders said during the campaign, the biggest. Remember, my just going to be about 30 below next week. Bernie Sanders said the biggest existential threat facing America today was climate change and global warming. You take that for what it's worth. But. Someone could come out and go, hey, this is the you know national emergency. I want to keep all the oil on the ground, no more fossil fuels. And that's important to remember because you got to also keep in mind that the prophet, the one and only Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, recently said that the world's going to end in 12 years. So got to keep that in mind, right? Now let me do you a favor here tonight and just give you some theories. I want to take a little bit about behind the curtain on what's going on with this political theater that we are currently seeing regarding opening back up the government and building this wall. As I'm sure you've heard by now, today the Senate put up two bills to reopen the government. One had some funding for the wall. One did not have funding for the wall. But here's what you want to know about this. Okay, They knew before they took the votes, both these things were going to go down in flames. So, so why do it? Why even put it out there? It is pure political theater. They want to make it look to you, you and I, because they think that we're a bunch of rubes, like, well, hey, at least they're trying. At least they're pushing some papers around and trying to get something done. So they, they go take these votes. They put on the political theater. As soon as that vote is done, then Cocaine Mitch and Chuck Schumer go meet in Cocaine Mitch's office. And Press Secretary Sarah Sanders tweeted this out after the vote. She said, Leader Mitch McConnell and Senator Chuck Schumer are meeting now to see whether or not they can work out of the deadlock. As was made clear to Senator Lindsey Graham, the three-week CR, continuing resolution, would only work if there was a large, large down payment on the wall. <clears throat> Here's my theory, folks, because the heat is getting turned up because of the government shutdown. Trump's approval numbers are cratering. The polling's not good for Trump. It's not really good for the GOP as well. I think Nancy feels like, look, I'm in a very strong position. That's why she sent the letter to Trump yesterday about no State of the Union in the House chamber. So they're trying to figure out a way, hey, can we get President Trump to take less than the $5.7 billion for the wall? If so, then we'll go that route. If not, that's why President Trump is now playing this card with a possible national emergency. If not, they're looking for a way to do what's called a, a presidential veto override. They're positioning themselves now to put themselves in place to execute a veto override. If you're not through what that is, for example, you need two-thirds of the votes. For the Senate, you need 67 votes. So if President Trump got a bill on his desk, he said, no, I'm not going to sign this. You'd need 67 votes in the Senate to reopen the government and make this thing work. Okay. Here's why I think this is a possibility. Senator John Hoven, 
one of the smartest senators in there right now, maybe in a very, very long time. Senator John Hovind, I think we all can agree, is wicked smart. I want to share with you what happened. I think this was last week. One of our uh, reporters from the D.C. Bureau had a chance to visit with Senator Hovind. He asked him about a possible veto override. Is that being discussed within the Republican caucus? He asked him once. Senator Hovind kind of dodged the question. I want to share with you here the second time our reporter asked Senator Hovind about a veto override. Keep in mind, Senator Hovind, brilliant guy. Veto overrides, pretty basic civics, especially if you're a U.S. senator. Here's his response. Would the option of veto override ever be there for Republicans in the Senate, though? What, what do you mean, veto override? So like, if the president's not willing to sign on to whatever bills you come up with, and he sends it back with a veto, would you folks ever consider a veto override? Well, we, we support border security. That's, that's a fundamental part of national security. So what do you mean a veto override? Senator Hoban, he knows what a veto override is, right? So there... That, that tells me, and again, I, I cannot prove this to you, that tells me that there's at least a dialogue going on. They want to get this thing reopened. They want to figure out a strategy to do that, but also look like, look, we're not completely abandoning President Trump, but we've got to do the right thing for these government workers and get this thing reopened. He knows what a veto override is. I think that's a very interesting response. So if you want to find out what... Con uh, Congressman Senator Kramer said also before the Senate votes today, we've got an entire interview up online on our Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com forward slash POV now. Earlier today, I had a chance to sit down with Congressman Kelly Armstrong and talk about, hey, look, both these Senate bills dead on arrival, right? Nothing happened. What's next? Here's Congressman Armstrong's and my conversation from earlier today. Congressman Armstrong, welcome back to Point of View. Great to have you join us from Washington, D.C. Well, both both the Senate bills just got shot down in the Senate. Now what? Well, I hope it stirs a conversation because we need to work forward to securing our border and opening the government up again. Well, Nancy Pelosi, at least the, the, the House Democrats, are talking about a possible bill that would put the $5.7 billion up for border security. No money for a wall. Border security and reopening the government. Would that get you on board? Uh, I don't think it would, and here's why. And I made a, I, I wasn't joking, but I was talking to my staff today, and I said, that's what they should do, is they should just put the 5.6 billion up and not dedicate it to anything and let the ex experts determine how it's spent. Because I can tell you, anybody who's an expert in securing our border is going to build border walls, they're going to build fence, they're going to build barriers. So offering the money and putting exclusions up for political reasons that don't solve the crisis does not make sense. But what, what, I guess, what research do you have or how do you know that, that a border wall is going to make an impact? And I say in this context is that, you know, this $5.7 is going to build maybe 100, maybe 200 miles. So it's not going to stop it indefinitely. And yet now we've got four former Department uh, of Homeland Security secretaries coming out with a letter saying, hey, this is going to impact the public's um, security. They go on to say that what's happening right now was unconscionable. So... Why not go, hey, let's do 5.7 billion border security. It's only 100, 200 miles of wall, but now we're going to reopen the government, air traffic controllers, people that are saying this is going to start to put the public safety at risk. 
Well, and if the people who are in charge of the border say that this is a this is a realistic way to secure the border in the best possible way, and the Senate will take it up and the president will sign it, then we have then we have a way to move. I still think the negotiating tactic of just counter offer offer and nobody sitting in a room and talking is is counterintuitive to what we're trying to do. Like it or not, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, we are in an era of divided government. And if everything is going to be fought out on social media and through press releases and nobody will get in a room and negotiate with the other side, then we're going to be in for a long two years. But, I mean, and again, you know this probably as well as anybody now, being in the D.C. swamp and how they look at the polling. You look at the polling. This is even a Fox News poll. They talk about emergency major problems. Seventy-five percent of Americans say the government shutdown is a major problem. Only 59% say the border situation is a major problem. So I think, you know, Speaker Pelosi, Chuck Schumer think, hey, we're winning this fight right now. Why should we sit down? I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. What, what concessions are you, I know you know, aren't in President Trump's head, but President Trump willing to make to get some funding and get the government reopened? Well, I think having an in-person conversation and negotiation would be a really good start to a concession or any or anything. Listen, we need we need border security. It came up on the it came up on the campaign trail way more than I ever thought it possibly would in North Dakota. But I do agree with you. This is needs to be a negotiated settlement, and they need we need to get both sides in the room. And I think both sides. I, I think the president has already made concessions and is willing to make some concessions. But you can't really make concessions with an empty chair sitting across from you. So they need to get in the room. They need to negotiate. They need to come to a resolution of this, and they need to do it soon, because you're right. Uh, we should not have federal workers working without getting paychecks. And these are real people having real problems and real financial strain on them, their families, their kids, and their loved ones. And that is something that we always have to remember as we're moving forward through this through this process. So with that being said, I want to get your reaction to this. Secretary Ross, Secretary of Com Commerce, uh, Wilbur Ross, was on CNBC today, and it was like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Why are these people going to food banks and shelters? Why don't they just go get these uh, no-interest loans? What's your reaction to Secretary Ross? Well, I, I think that's, that is definitely not taking into each person's community, each person's financial situation. I, I, I do appreciate what the North Dakota legislature is at least talking about doing. And we are lucky because we're the only state in the country with a state bank and talking about doing a no interest loan for furloughed or essential federal workers. But each, I mean, each person here and each individual person has their own unique financial situation. And I, I, I mean, I don't think that I don't think that broad base of the statement is um, really that accurate. So just for clarity, sir, what I'm hearing you say is, hey, Chris, if the Border Patrol and the people that are the experts when it comes to border security said, hey, look, we'll take the $5.7 billion, <clears throat> we're not going to put it towards a barrier or a wall, but we've got other ways to make sure that we secure the border, you would be okay with that? Uh, provided the Senate take it up and the president would sign it, absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just okay. passing something that's going to die on the other side of the aisle. That's, I mean, that's not how divided government works. They all, I mean, this won't surprise you, but I'm not in the Democratic majority leadership's uh, daily briefing <laughs> meetings. But, I mean, at some point in time, everybody needs to recognize that uh, the president controls the White House, the Republicans <laughs> control the Senate, and the Democrats control the House, and those people need to get in a room and figure this out. And I thought you and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez we're both on board with the world ending in 12 years. I guess I'm the fool on that one. So I want to move on to this, sir. Is that? Uh, I think I heard that story before with Al Gore. <laughs> I want to I want to get you react to this because you're saying, hey, Chris, there is some movement here. There may there might be, and yet today the Washington Post is reporting that uh, White House Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney is now asking the agency heads to go, hey, guys. 
I need to know what you can do in case the shutdown goes into March and April. Are you okay if the shutdown goes yeah, into it, March or April? Well, and I think the second part of that, and I don't know which one you're reading, but the one I read is also, I mean, Mulvaney's saying, listen, we wouldn't be prepared if we didn't know how this looked long-term. And he's like, you prepare for every eventuality. So I would, it, it would essentially be malpractice if I didn't ask that question. But I guess what I'm asking you, are you, are you, would you be supportive of going, hey, guys, you know what, if we need to stand our ground, we go into March or April on this thing, we start getting into reduction of force, pink slips are going out, I'm standing by that because that's the kind of crisis we face at the border right now. Well, I think the border crisis, and I think one of the reasons this has happened, is this has been building for 20 years, and it's continued to go, and it's continued to go. My friend Dan Crenshaw from Texas always says, when we get bogged down in the numbers of this, we end up getting, fighting about any particular number. So his number that he uses and that uh, we've verified is 400,000 people at the southern border. Over the last 20 years, that's the least number of people that have attempted to cross illegally. So when we talk about it being a crisis, it's been a crisis for 20 years, and it's something that we have to deal with, and we but have have to secure that being said I mean we're going to continue to work forward but I, I still go back to we have to start having progress and um, the leadership of the different chambers in the White House have to get in a room and talk to each other and we can't do it unless everybody is willing to come to that meeting to be fair sir I, I think you know this is probably happening right now at home people watching this and going crisis what, what crisis at the board there's no crisis so we got some people that come in illegally but the, but it's not a crisis what, what's your reaction to that my reaction to that is at the, in the least amount of people in the last 20 years that have tried to cross the border illegally is 400,000. If you do the math on that, if you don't have a secure border, you don't have a secure country, and we need to continue to work towards that. But 400,000 over 20 years, that's, that's 1% of our population of you know over 300 million. So I want to move on to this, sir. Uh, President Trump, Nancy Pelosi, playing the chess game around the State of the Union last night. Kind of after the news cycle, President Trump finally conceded, said, okay, I'm not going to do the State of the Union uh, during a government shutdown. Many people are saying he folded, he conceded. Did President Trump fold to Speaker Pelosi on this? No, I think he actually was a statesman about it. The State of the Union should de be delivered in the U.S. House. And I think it's important to point out is uh, Nancy, P Speaker Pelosi didn't put this on the floor. Every Democrat didn't vote against the resolution. She is protecting her members are protecting that because if that bill comes to the if that resolution comes to the floor, it passes with Democratic support. And she knows that. So it may be a game of chess. It may be a game of chicken. But I think the president did the right thing. That speech should be delivered in the U.S. House. Best guess. When does this thing get resolved? And I mean, the state of the union. Optimistic. Like, yeah. Well, I'm hopeful we can get signed. I mean, we're going to, our federal workers are going to miss another paycheck here. And this is really, I mean, this is not something, I mean, I'll go to the Coast Guard. Rugby, North Dakota is the geographic center of North America. So we obviously don't have a lot of coastline in North Dakota, but we essentially have armed service people working for free right now, protecting our country. And that's untenable. And I think it is important to point out that Republicans in the House have called to make sure that we, we pay our federal workers while we're negotiating that. And that has been rejected by the Democrats while we're moving forward. Do you want to start a good negotiation point? Let's pay our federal workers and get in a room and talk. Last question, George, just because it's been such a big talker this week. We've got a large Native American population here in the great state of North Dakota. Just want to get your reaction to what you've seen play out with the situation with Nathan Phillips, uh, the Kentucky, the Cummington High School students, which, by the way, Nathan Phillips, we can bring this graphic up for Congressman Armstrong, uh, was one of the no-dapple protesters. So I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not, but just your reaction to how this whole thing has played out and your thoughts on it. 
Well, I think at the it really what's it, it's it's sad. You know, the right to life march is something that's near and dear to my heart. I met with our high school students from North Dakota while they were out here. The Indigenous Peoples March is incredibly important, and we're talking about a Vietnam vet, and we're talking about about all of these things and the important issues they're raising. And instead, we're talking about social media, gotcha journalism, bad reporting, out of context. When what we should be talking about is what the right to life march stands for. Um, how many Native Americans have served in our military, how many of them are veterans right now, and instead we're playing this game, whether it's BuzzFeed or CNN or all of these things. And I just wish we'd talk about the issues they were there to march about instead of what happened on social media. And just for clarity, sir, uh, Mr. Phillips, not a Vietnam vet. Vietnam Times veteran, he did serve, but he, did, he was not deployed uh, in Vietnam. So just for that clarity, uh, Senator Congressman Armstrong, thank you for the time, sir. I appreciate it very, very much. Thank you. Well, I'm struggling with the correct titles tonight. Some great news for Congressman Kelly Armstrong. He's going to be serving on the House Government and Oversight Committee. They were supposed to have Michael Cohn uh, testify very, very soon that this changed, but he's going to have his hands full. Also going to be in the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, Acting AG Whitaker is going to be testifying there on February 8th. So some exciting stuff there for Kelly Armstrong.